0: What is up art world? We are back. I have Katherine sitting here with me. How's it going? Very good. How are you, Lisa? Very good. And we have a special guest with us. We have Frank Oviedo. How are you today?
1: I'm awesome. How about you guys?
0: Good. Thanks for coming on. This is exciting.
1: That's <laughs> no, fun. My pleasure.
0: And you are a um, photography fan, collector, lover of the arts.
1: I am. I am.
0: So what got you into photography specifically?
1: Wow, we're gonna go way back. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back when All I was I a child.
1: You know, it's funny because I probably got involved like a lot of people. Uh, I was well, it actually goes even. Fr- I was gonna start at high school, but I'll oh, wow. really take you back.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, my mom was one of those. She loved garage sales. <laughs> And uh, my mom used to pick up, uh, if you remember Life Magazine, you know, the old Life Magazines. People would collect these things in boxes. And oftentimes they were always found in, you know, yard sales. And my mom knew how much I loved flipping through Life Magazines. So she would buy boxes of these. And I would literally, during the summer, I was like a latchkey kid. I don't think they use that term anymore, but back in the uh, 70s and 80s. So I would literally go through boxes of Life magazine, just sitting for hours on end during the summer, looking wow. at images. And you know, you get an appreciation for one, things going on around the world, mm-hmm. but also the way photographers frame and their perspective, everybody's a little bit different. You could tell, you could if you look at enough photo- photographs, you can tell who the photographer is oftentimes, if they're that famous yeah. of a photographer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And then high school, by the time I got into high school, I didn't have any notion of doing anything in the photography world uh, my freshman, sophomore year. But by my junior year, I was taking uh, photography classes. And then because I was so into it, the photography... Uh, teacher actually was also did the did yearbook as well <laughs> oh, cool. so you know like a lot of people you pick up your 35 millimeter mm-hmm. camera and everything's digital now so it's different back then you actually had to learn the trade yeah. which was you know how to develop film then how to develop the actual pictures in the darkroom um, and now it's all digital so a lot of it's all done on computer although there are a lot, still a lot of photographers yeah. that do the traditional style um, but then I started doing your book, and so, you know, you start carrying a camera around. You're the guy, the, the, the nerdy guy yeah. in school, you know, oh, going to the, hey, the football game. Yeah, well, there you cool. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my high school. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and it's I had a lot of friends that played sports, and I was kind of that alternative kid that was skateboarding after schools, but I, you know, had a lot of friends that played sports, so I'd go to basketball games and football games and, you know, and take Pictures and you know develop them and then they became part of the collection that would eventually get selected for the yearbook, and so that's really kind of where I started. And then and because I always had an interest in it and I always got along with the teacher, it's like I was always paying attention. And of course, I grew up in the uh, Clovis Fresno area, central part of the state, and um, you know the my backyard was Yosemite and Sequoia and Kings Canyon National wow. Park. There was actually a ranger station in Clovis where I'd get my annual passes. And of course, the most famous of the landscape photographers, Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time in the Yosemite area, Yosemite, Kings Canyon, Sequoia. And his family actually lives, it's kind of an interesting story, kind of see how early I was really taking it up and just really absorbing myself. And then really about the process itself is he had family that was kind of relocated into the Fresno area. It was a natural. It's uh, Yosemite's a couple hours from Fresno. and. Uh, he had already passed at that point but he was having uh, an exhibit that he was going that was going to tour the world essentially it was kind of all of Ansel Adams greatest photographs and including the world famous moonrise hernandez and uh, it was really interesting because the family at that time, it was a big, a big story in the Fresno area, is that they wanted to have the very first showing at a Fresno museum because most of his work was done in the Sierra. Oh, interesting. And so yeah. it was really interesting is that the, it was Fresno, Los Angeles, New York, Paris, <laughs> London. <Yeah. laughs> you know, Somehow Fresno got squeezed in Go there. for Fresno. <laughs> oh, get it, right? Fresno. <laughs> so Fresno got a little bit of shout out there mm-hmm. because they were so close to where most of those photographs were taken and um, and so it was a, it was probably, and it really kind of solidified how much I really appreciated photography because I probably spent you know, in, if I think back hours and hours on there. One room was dedicated to, and this is one I remember the most and it speaks kind of to how much I love the pro- the creative process itself is that one room in the Fresno Metropolitan Museum was dedicated to Moonrise Hernandez, which is probably his most famous uh, photograph outside of his, the iconic ones that he has of right when you get into the Yosemite Valley with the you know, the uh, Half Dome and in, mm-hmm. in El Capitan. Those are well known, but Moonrise mm-hmm. Hernandez, I think at the time that it sold was the most expensive photograph ever sold. Oh, wow, wow. And tell the story about how he was kind of done photographing for the day. He was driving along the New Mexico desert. He saw the light. He saw the image he wanted. He stopped. He put his, his camera on the top of his car. The light was, you know, quickly waning as the day was growing short, and he snapped the photograph, and then, of course, he had the whole zone system, if you're familiar with Ansel Adams, and you know, he went into the lab, and that's where his magic was done. It was really in the lab, not that he didn't have great perspective, because he did, but in his zone system. And then he came in and just turned this, and the, so this room was dedicated to that photograph, and what it showed was every iteration until it was the final print.
0: Wow, that is very And cool.
1: so you've got awesome. it allowed, the, 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 the photography lover, yeah. the person who was really there to kind of learn and absorb Ansel Adams' work and the genius of Ansel Adams, you could see something from its inception all the way to the final photograph that ultimately became the thing that he's, one of the things that he's well known for. Yeah. So it's like, so I was always doing that. And to this day, I, my God, I, I, Probably spend too much time on my iPad looking for galleries that are showing something special that I've never seen before, and um, and 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 the other thing is that I, photography is just an accessible mm-hmm. art form, you know, every, and yeah, you know, I can talk more about it later. But it's interesting because it's even changing because everybody's got digital phones now, so it's changing yeah. what a professional photographer has to do in order to make their work stand out because my god, these iPhones these days take amazing pictures.
0: (laughs) Well, and that was my question for you since uh, you enjoyed that process of uh, the dark room and we don't have that so much anymore. Do you still appreciate kind of the contemporary photographers even though they don't have to go through those same steps?
1: You know, what, I do because I think, you know, art is constantly changing. It's such a malleable, uh, you know, thing to express yourself and it's constantly being altered in the way we do it and so you know whether it's you know in the far end experimental photography all the way to more traditional photography uh it doesn't it's no less of an art form because you're sitting at a computer and tweaking the very fine details of a high resolution image and the work that's being done today is just really spectacular it's you know, it's taken something that Ansel Adams took, labored for hours and hours and hours on end in, in the lab, and they can do this stuff in in a, on a computer and do things with it that are just, you know, mind blowing. Like, wow! I, you know, I I bought a a, a photograph uh, from a photographer that took a picture of uh, of the Snake River um, in uh, in Wyoming, in Jackson, Wyoming area, and. There's a famous photograph that Ansel Adams is part of his larger collection with the Teton Mountains in the back. There's a lot of photographers that have taken that image. But this one had, um, there's a gallery in Venice. It closed actually a couple of years ago, the G2 Gallery. They used to almost exclusively do just landscape photography. Um, and I, I was just, I, anytime I was in that area, I would just yeah. stop just to see if there was anything that was worth purchasing. And I'm not really interested in even buying things that, you mm-hmm. know, have to be, well, a name brand. Yeah. I, 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 tend to buy things that I like just from first impact. Um, and this one, it was like, a, they, what he did is he, he, it was like metallic. He did something completely different that you never had really seen with that that image that's been replicated multiple times. It's the Snake River with the Tetons in the back, but it had a metallic feel to it and it was a color photograph. And it just struck me really quick. I was just like, wow, I'd never seen somebody do that. So I ended up it was it was a reasonably priced photograph so I you know take it off the wall I'm going to take it home with me <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's in my bedroom right now and it's and I tend to buy landscape photographs at, of places I've been because it's one of those things when you walk That's around cool. your house yeah you it's like oh that reminds me of Jackson Wyoming or that yeah. reminds me of, East, of memories. Yeah, exactly yeah. it's it's a, as much as it is soothing for the soul mm-hmm. it's also jogs the memory yeah. about what a great time we had at fill in the blank exactly. so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those, some of the modern photographers that are using you know, purely digital uh, format uh, are really doing some cool stuff that you, you, you know, just haven't been able to do in the lab. Or, or if you did it, it would be really hard and laborious to do it. Um, they're doing it on computers, and that's really the, the future of all this stuff. So I, I think it's, like I said, it's, I don't think it's any less of art because they're doing it mm-hmm. uh, on a computer. It's just a new format. Yeah.
0: So speaking of collecting, I know a lot of people always say that they want to collect art, but they're not sure how to get their foot in the door or how to approach a gallery or what, you know, all of that entails. Uh, Can you talk about how you first started collecting artwork or?
1: (laughs) By accident. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is, it's like, and that's, I, uh. I've had conversations with uh, art lovers and, you know, one of the things that is always depressing to me, quite frankly, is that I've, and it's the, the this this strange uh, uh, irony of the art world is that I believe the people who need the art the most, you know, lower income neighborhoods, uh, you know, people of color who are perhaps not in the best financial situation, art would do amazing things for their lives. I really do believe that. yet it's very inaccessible because it costs money to do a lot yeah. of this stuff and you know, that's why when I see programs, I have season tickets. This is not photography, but I have season tickets to the Geffen Playhouse. And uh, inevitably, they call me to renew my season tickets. But one of the things they always do is they call because they have a, it's a technically a nonprofit, and they have a program where uh, they teach theater to inner city kids. And it's like, those kind of things are close to my heart because it's like, and I always give them money because I want to make sure that I'm not the only one appreciating the great things that the Geffen Playhouse does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, photography is another one of those things that you know if you can you can go to a gallery you don't have to collect Mm -hmm. that's the great thing about it it's accessible that way you can and there's a lot of great photographers out there um but in terms of when i started collecting is that was my social commentary by the way (laughs) (laughs) so i'll go to the collecting part um is that uh i'm not shy about sharing those things because i I really feel strong about that that's a lot of there's a lot of great art programs that bring art and. Uh, uh visual as, uh, as well, you know performing arts to the inner cities and, and people who kids that can't afford it necessarily. But in my case, it was a little bit by accident. So I'm probably gonna re- I'm gonna reveal a story to you guys and your listeners that probably, hopefully, my ex 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 girlfriend I'm married now, have two <laughs> <laughs> she won't be listening. And <laughs> um, i you know, I, like I said, I've always been into photography, and so if you'll indulge me for a second of on a course. kind of a, a, story a strange <laughs> story that uh, that's led to that led to other collections, is I was uh, years and years ago. This would have been the 90s. So I'm trying to. Take it even yeah. back further. Right? <laughs> it's like uh. so. We I went. Uh, I was dating somebody at the time, and the the wedding was in the Bay Area. So we flew up to the Bay Area, and there's a photographer, Galen Rall, who had uh, Mountain Light Studios. Most people knew Mountain Light Studios uh, because they had uh, uh, one of those, the, the locations was in uh, Bishop, California. So a lot of people that vacation in Mammoth mm-hmm. and are doing. Summertime event or stuff out in the east side of Sierra would stop there. It's an old bank, and a lot of people remember it. If you, they maybe not didn't know the photographer's name, but they'd say, "Oh yeah, that's that photography place in Bishop on yeah. the east side of the Sierra." Well, he also before, well, while they had that one, they also had a studio in Berkeley. And so, because I was in the Bay Area, I said I told everybody that I was with. I said, "Hey, we have to stop." I'm kind of a geek that way. Yeah. I want to stop see if there's anything, you know, maybe a fire sale that I can get my hands on something. Um, and so we walked in and I really, I didn't own any photography. I had, you know, I took my own photographs. I have some of my own photographs from Africa and India, stuff that I've taken myself. And so uh, we went in and I was just flipping through none of the limited stuff because that was way out of my price range. So I was in the, you know, just the kind of open commercial stuff that he yeah. would use. So I'm flipping through everything and I found a photograph because I like things that places I've been mm-hmm. or things that I've done. And so there was this beautiful photograph of Mount Shasta that I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And it was just an 8x10, nothing special, but it was there. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. And I made a comment about it. And then it was like, oh, well, what do you guys want to do for lunch? And then everybody kind of changed their direction. And we, I was like, ah, I'm not ready to spend whatever it was, even yeah. at that time, you know, 150 bucks or whatever. So I left and we all left and then I was actually I'm trying to see if I can piece this together so it makes sense. I was actually working in Santa Clarita at the time, is before I left Santa Clarita. Well shortly after that event, I did leave Santa Clarita. I took a job up in Sacramento.
2: Okay.
1: Well, that led to a breakup, you know, long distance relationships they work sometimes. <laughs> that one did not work. <laughs> Well, before we broke up, I flew down to Los Angeles for a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. It was my birthday in July. Hey, my birthday is July 12th, as you can see. It was just a couple of weeks Happy ago. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Uh,
1: and my girlfriend at the time, before we broke up, I'll keep emphasizing <laughs> because that's key to the story, yeah. is that uh, we were at the Hollywood Bowl. She gave me a birthday card. I opened it up and it had the image of that Mount Shasta photograph. She said, Well, the that is your birthday present i ordered it but they haven't shipped it yet so it's on its way i said oh well that's great i was excited i really appreciate it you know all the pleasantries you say after somebody hands you a card that has a gift in it but the gift's not there but it's like that's fine so follow the timeline we broke up shortly after that i moved to sacramento and quite frankly i forgot about it Mm -hmm. i forgot about the photograph um And so uh, it was around, so that was summertime. This was around January. So flash forward six months from that time period. uh, There was a box. I had gone on vacation from work. I came back and there was a FedEx box in there. And it was about the size that you might find an 8x10 you know yeah. mounted and matted and framed photograph <laughs> so i quickly opened it up and voila guess what was in there oh the photograph oh yeah. that was given to me by the ex-girlfriend so i thought that is amazing that's yeah. really cool but that's not the important part of the story <laughs> so you, you have to follow me on this one so shortly after i got that it was uh, july so i think it was like august september ish don't quote me on the exact dates but it was around that time all the AP wire, and I start seeing news stories. Well, Galen and his wife uh, died in a, in a plane accident. They oh were flying back. He was on assignment. He was a very prolific photographer. He was on assignment, and he was flying back from the Bay Area, taking a puddle jumper over to Bishop. And as witnesses say, they saw a plane go down, smoke. Well, Galen Rao was in that plane. So I knew that he had passed away. Oh my gosh. And so I thought, oh, my God, I have one of the last Galen Rao photographs that he's actually gonna touch. And so it it sparked me, you know, my curiosity so much that I immediately picked up the phone after I looked at the photograph and I called Mountain Light Studios in Bishop and I said, hey, this was on order for the last six months and I just got it, is that correct? And and the person very politely on the phone said, "Uh, absolutely, Um, one of the things, the reason it was on back order, the story that I got at the time, was that Galen personally signs all his photographs. The reason it was on back order, because he was on assignment, and he couldn't sign all the orders that had been waiting for him. So as soon as he got into town, he was gonna sign everything. Oh
2: my God. And
1: so I said, well, the photograph that I have actually has his signature. Yeah. And they said, well, the family wanted to honor all the orders, so they took photographs out of their own family collection and shipped them with his original signature. What? Oh my God. So I got an original Gail and Ralph photograph from the family collection. Dang. And I was just oh as God. happy as you can imagine yeah. that I, I got this. It, like I said, it wasn't a limited print, um, but it was theoretically one of the last prints yeah. that he had put his hands on. So that was the first photograph that I got. And I actually put it in my office, I had it in my office for years. And the longer time went on, I thought, you know, I shouldn't have this photograph here. If somebody just takes it off the wall, you know, and thinks that it's just an average yeah. photograph, there's a story that goes behind it. And so I took it home, So and then I have it listed on my insurance as, you know, something that's in the house. If,
2: uh,
1: God forbid, anything ever happened yeah. to it, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be safe. So I did take it home. It is displayed in my house, yeah. but that's that was literally the first photograph that I purchased well I didn't purchase it yeah. uh, I had uh, the wow. ex-girlfriend <laughs> so amazing. if you're listening no no, no I'm kidding also that's ex-girlfriend
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah Super nice. Super nice.
2: I don't think I ever
1: shared that story with her so yeah. you know we'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah. but that was the first photograph I got of Galen Rouse and then I uh, and so to, to how do you get into photography or you know collecting it's part of it is and I've heard this from others that uh, collect is that there's so many amazing photographers Mm -hmm. out there that you really have to kind of pick a genre that you like and then pick a photographer that you're particularly you know in love with and then focus on one or two photographers because then it gets hard because you're and I I, of course I say that and then I tell you that I break the rule all the time because I will find something that I like and I'll just you know if it's reasonably priced I'll buy it but in pursuit of you know, those photographs that I like. There's like there's a guy, uh, Greg Russell, uh, Glow uh, Photography. He's, a, he's actually a full-time professor, <laughs> oh, wow. um, but he's a photographer on the side. And I came across some of his work because when I was the city manager of Wildemar uh, in Riverside County, there's the Santa Rosa Plateau just uh, uh, above Wildemar. And they, it's just beautiful landscape. And I was looking for a photographer to do some economic development, Photographs for the city of Wildemar (laughs) and so I found Greg and then I fell in love with his work And then I started buying some of his his photographs, so uh, And they were reasonably priced. I I, he was doing some pretty cool stuff. I've got a Bryce Canyon I've got an east side of Sierra during the fall with a storm coming It's it I spent a lot of time having grown up in Clovis on the Sierra and the east side of Sierra, so it was uh, so that's how I started collecting. It was just kind of like well, and it was one of those like well, this watershed moment. If I can get this Galen Ralph photograph, why can't I buy this guy? Just call him up, and then yeah. pretty soon you realize. And then annually, um, there's Photo LA. I don't know if you're all familiar oh. with that, but you know, Photo LA is it's great because. You cat get you know dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, photographers as well as galleries in one fell swoop. They it was at the Reef in downtown Los Angeles. They this past year they sold the show and now uh, the new uh, owners moved it to the uh, Santa Monica. Um, the uh, yeah, what is it the hangar? Oh the, yeah, yeah well, that's at the part hangar. of. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So, and they do a lot of stuff. I I actually saw Dwight Yoakam in that hangar, but that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) It was at a nonprofit fundraiser that a friend of mine used to uh, be the executive director of. Um, But yeah, so I and it's great because you can go there and really just spend you know a whole day looking at everything from experimental photography Mm -hmm. to high-end landscape photography to street photography and everything else in between, and really get to understand what it is you like and. And you know, and it's it's very it's not really pretentious. There's yeah. a couple of galleries that you'll walk into. <laughs> yeah. It's like they kind of give you, and it was interesting. And this is horrible to say, but you know, it's I'm sure they know their audience. I've gone on a weekend in shorts and you know Birkenstocks, and it's like you know mild interest from the people at the galleries. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've gone in uh, this past year. Uh, they had just this, I'd been meaning to do it every year, and this was the year that I was going to do it. Was uh, before they preview. Or before they open up to the public, they allow you to preview. You can pay extra mm-hmm. with the uh, former uh, photography director. I forget his official title from the Getty, and he gives you a private docent tour, if you will, All right. <laughs> uh, of the of the whole before they pre That's show amazing. it to the public. Yeah. And so you get to see a little bit of everything. He, you know, this is a guy who, for the last twenty five years, purchased the Getty's collection of photography, wow. and so he's uber you know just when you think you know about photography this guy makes you feel like you know nothing about photography (laughs) and and really you know gives you uh, some context for what you're looking at well I was wearing a suit because I came right from Work, yeah, and uh, it's am- amazing how much more interest the gallery owners mm-hmm. <laughs> have of, of you course. when you're wearing oh, a suit yeah, and uh, you know you're wearing your uh, your nice dress shoes, you know your Sunday best, and it's like, so, are, do you have any interest in this photograph?
0: Yeah. <laughs> would you <laughs> like to buy this? <laughs> yeah, and you
1: know, and, and I, to some extent, I get it. I, I wish they would be a little bit more open, but yeah. I, I get it. It's like these some of the stuff is not cheap. There's a, a photographer that I'm, I'm, that's probably my next purchase, uh, Mitch Doe Browner. Um, he does some really cool stuff with uh, black and whites. And there's uh, these amazing L.A. landscapes with storms. And it's kind of storm yeah. photography oh, yeah. uh, cool. that uh, he does. And so uh, I'm probably going to get one of those. And I talked to uh, one of the galleries that reps him. And uh, he's, you know it was one of those, like, I was in a suit. We were starting yeah. to have conversations about what I like. And I really like that photograph. And he had some Ansel Adams there that were like fifteen thousand dollars I'm like nah, I'm not really in the market yeah. for that <laughs> um, but I am in the market for around five thousand dollars you know yeah. for I'll, I'll pick something up and, and and I'm not buying it to hope that it's yeah. going to turn into a fifteen thousand dollar photograph one day but it is how you kind of stick your toe in the water and then start you know and you can get the un, the limited stuff obviously is much more expensive yeah. than the more commercial lim, you know unlimited stuff that they're using for all kinds of different reasons And, and, you know, and again, you don't have to buy any. It's like wine, you know. Mm -hmm. I I used to hang out with a, uh, way back in the day, back in the late 80s, (laughs) 90s, with a Wittner. I used to go mountain biking with him. And he'd always tell me, he says, you know, Frank, most people are really pretentious about wine. And I can tell you as somebody who does this professionally, they have no idea what good wine is. Mm -hmm. And he goes, but what I will tell you, and I think photography is probably the same way, at least in my perspective, is that, you know he would always say if you go to dinner with vintners people who actually make wine for a living they drink what they like and that isn't necessarily a $2000 bottle of wine sometimes it's a $10 bottle of wine that they just enjoy with their summer barbecue yeah. and that's what they enjoy you don't have to be pretend you know just because it's $2000 doesn't make it a good wine it just yeah. makes it something that's you know has certain characteristics mm-hmm. and it's rare but it's not maybe the most tasty wine mm-hmm. and photography to me mm-hmm. is the same way it's like you can walk into a gallery and pick up $150 photograph that you can enjoy as much as an Ansel Adams, you know, $25,000 photograph. Uh, I'd like to own the $25,000 <laughs> photograph, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. So
0: do you have any of your, uh, photos up on your walls? I
1: do. I do. And most of them are travel photographs. Um, I have, uh, a picture of, uh, the, uh, a tribe in east africa <laughs> i have my my favorite picture and, and i have it right in my walkway when i uh, come home from work and when i leave i see it every day it's uh um, i i paddled on the ganges river in india and i just That's by accident you know it's like i heard a photo- I was watching a photography documentary once and they uh, they referred to <laughs> one of the photographers referred to a photograph as a uh, as a as a happy accident you know, it's it's planned, but it's kind of a happy accident because yeah. you capture that moment in time. That was kind of that photograph. I, I literally was just in the boat, and it was a it was a all I had was a little point and click camera. This was before even digital cameras and phones, and I just snapped it while I was in the water, so it had really good perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have that in my house. Uh, I've got one of a, of a, a little uh, Buddhist monk in okay. Nepal. And, it was by, and again, it was kind of by accident, I was, there was a monkey temple in Kathmandu, and I was just kind of walking around, and I saw this kid, and he was cleaning uh, 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 wax from all the candles, and he was kind of kneeling down. And I was trying to be respectful, and I said, can I, you know, I kind of looked yeah. at him, I said, can I take a picture? And he looked at me and he very solemnly and said, no, no, he shook his head, no, no. And I said, just one picture? And then he kind of was ignoring me for a little bit yeah. and he was still cleaning. And Then he looked, he said, and he kind of nodded his head, yeah. yes. And so I didn't take that photo because yeah. I wanted him to go back to what he was doing. And so he was going, doing what he was doing. He did few, and I just sat there for a second. And then he kind of looked up to see if I was still there. That's when I took the photograph. Nice. And so I, that one I have in my house as well. Yeah. Um, there's a few photographs that I have at my parents' home that I keep meaning to go get them at some yeah. point. It's been 20 plus years. I suppose I should go. <laughs> fish them out, uh, but uh, but yeah, I do have some of my own photographs from way back in the day. and uh, So I, I, I collect my own. Yeah.
0: <laughs> would you ever hope to share some of yours in a gallery space?
1: You know, that's probably like the dream of anybody who just is kind of a lover of art. Yeah. It's like, oh, I do a little on the side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it would be great to be able to have somebody appreciate. And you know, when I do have people come over, I will say, they'll go, oh, you know, yeah. somebody inevitably will make a comment about something and I'll say, oh, well, that's actually my photograph really that's really good for you know yeah. I don't know if they're just placating me here <laughs> <laughs> but I like them so it yeah, doesn't matter you exactly. know. Uh, but yeah that, that would be you know who wouldn't want to have a exactly. gallery showing yeah. of their
2: own right because
1: <laughs> yeah. so, knowing how hard it is to get repped by a gallery and then to actually show it and yeah. you know the whole process it's, it's it's there's so many struggling artists out there I I, I wouldn't want to you know elbow them out. <laughs> let, them, <laughs> let them do their thing. I've got a full-time job so <laughs> nice. doing something other than art. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so talking about um, how you enjoy the um, process behind photography, how important is it for you to know the artist or the photographer that you're buying from? Not
1: really, because to me it's like art is very visceral to me. Um, matter of fact, it, I do the same thing with theater. I hate to read the playbills before I watch. And I don't want to know anything about the play itself. <laughs> I like to go in and be pleasantly surprised. I just, you know, without knowing. And photography is kind of the same for me. You know, after the fact, I'll go and do research on the photographer and I'll find out where they went to school yeah. and where they're from and what motivated them. And that's all fun. But it's more after the fact than before because I like to just be impacted, walk into a gallery and. You know, and you guys know that you walk into some a gallery of something you like and you just go, Oh my God, that's just amazing. Oh, and you just want to stand there yeah. and soak it in. You know, there's, it's not by accident that they have couches in some of these galleries cause you, or, you know, somewhere to sit. So you can just kind of, you know, absorb it. And that's to me, photography is the same way. I almost rather not know stuff about them. Although, cause you know, take, I could, the other thing is I love street photography. Um, and, you know, I even made some notes here because I didn't want to leave some of my f- favorite photographers. But, you know, one of the more famous uh, photographers, Gary Winogrand. Um, I just recently saw a documentary about him, and it's like, I don't think I like him. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <You> know, <laughs> as, as an individual, he was, he was a fascinating individual, and he took amazing, you know, street photography. And his work is well documented, you know, yeah. well studied. Um, but he was kind of an interesting guy. It's like, I, after I watched it, I love, again though, what I was more interested in was in the process. Like, what was it that he was, you know, he, he got good at taking, especially good street photographers. Yeah. You know, they, they're constantly with that camera and they're, you know, just roaming around and they can hit, you know, they get proficient at taking pictures the non-traditional way because sometimes they're taking them from the hip, sometimes yeah. they're taking them from mm-hmm. the chest. You know uh, and he was one of those guys that was really good at, at documenting street scenes um, and one of his techniques that I thought was it as he was talking about the process is you look at Gary Winogrand's uh, photographs and a lot of his uh, subjects are looking at something but you don't know what he's what they're looking at Okay. And he was kind of one of the pioneers in that style mm-hmm. of street photography where you don't know what... And and so it leaves the viewer the to wonder, what, what are they... Yeah. You know, there'll be a, a black and white scene in 1962 in Brooklyn and they're looking out, they're all standing on the edge of a bridge and they're all looking out, but you don't know what they're looking yeah. at. He was a master of that style. And so, you know, and then you go through the documentary and you watch... Uh, you know, you see how his, how he developed over the years, that that was always an element of his photographs. Um, So that was great. I love that part. But then there was a lot of stuff about his personal life. Guys, you you know, like a lot of artists, their lives are in turmoil. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, (laughs) they struggle because they don't necessarily fit in these little clean boxes that, you know, society wants them to be. And quite frankly, that's what probably made him a great photographer. But I, I didn't need to know that, (laughs) you know, Uh, it's, you know, and, and, it's everybody. Well, they're artists. They're artists. Artists have interest. They lead interest in lives, you know. Yes, they do. You take
0: for me, it's a huge, like, if I meet the artists and I don't mesh well or I don't, what my thoughts of their art is very different, what they intended, mm. it changes everything for me. I'm like, man, I don't know if I like their art anymore, and it's so frustrating. Right, so, and that's, yeah. and
1: isn't that, but isn't that the case, though? It's like you kind of get into this uh, notion that you don't want it to taint
2: yeah. anything about yeah.
1: what initially struck you to that piece of work mm-hmm. and that's kind of my philosophy I kind of want to see it absorb it and then mm-hmm. just leave it at that yeah. you know and if I ended up and if I found it buying it you know I just want it to go up and then I don't want to ask any questions <laughs> exactly. I just enjoy it and that's a tough part about street photography I love street photography but you know <laughs> try putting a homeless person on the wall when you walk in yeah. you know it's it's yeah. tough and my wife i'm sure is not when i've told her it's like i really want this she's like you can go put that in some other room yeah you know it's <laughs> like but i want it
2: right there <laughs> you know. so good in the dining room yeah exactly it's like who, who doesn't want to
1: you know be eating while you're looking at some you know hor- oh. <laughs> horrible image of somebody you know perhaps starving or you know well you take you know uh and so, consequently, I have a lot of, you know, uh, coffee table books. Yeah. So, you know, when I when I get the urge, you know, one of my favorite photographers is Dorothea Lange. Mm-hmm. You know, she had all those great iconic images when she was hired uh, by the federal government to document the... The impact of the re- or the, not the recession the depression in the 1930s. You know she was a contemporary of Ansel Adams. It's funny because even Ansel Adams actually has a collection of photographs that are not landscape at that time. He was also hired by the federal oh. government to document during that period. He's got photographs in Los Angeles. So unless you really pursue those things, you'll never know yeah. that Ansel Adams actually took something other than uh, uh, landscape photographs. But Dorothea Lang, you know, she's got that famous uh, migrant uh, worker mom where she's you know holding her child mm-hmm. and kind of doing this pose with her hand, and it's like, uh, you know, but imagine if you could actually afford that photograph, you put that in your living room, and it's like, see kids, that's why you should finish your plate, you know, (laughs) because there's people starving out there, but yeah, those are some great, and the great thing about, you know, again, following photographer, any art form, it's, you know, if you follow it on social media, which is great about social media today, is you can get, you know, regular feeds of what's showing at what galleries, online gallery, it's an online gallery. And so, I, you know, I've been able to see Dorothea Lange, they they've featured her in the photography area of, of the Getty. And so I've seen one of the original photographs cool. uh, of that image. Um, they also, you know, the, the uh, Getty also has a very rich collection of Ansel Adams. Uh, he, at one point, bundled, it's really kind of an interesting story, they, and again, if, unless you're following it, you, you'll miss this opportunity, yeah. and, or you just stumble upon it by accident he bundled all of his most famous photographs together and sold them as one collection. But he sold them to only collectors and only museums. And the when you bought the collection, you had to essentially, I don't know, know if they made you sign it or how they guaranteed it, to never sell the photographs off individually. They had to be a collection and it had to be to really? collectors only. Oh, interesting. And so a family that had purchased it in the Los Angeles area, as the LA Times article uh, Uh, wrote Uh, the parents had passed away the kids weren't sure what to do with the collection Uh, but you know it's a multi-million dollar collection so I'm going to assume the children were doing okay because (laughs) (laughs) what they did is they gifted it to the Getty and so the Getty has one I think and I can't remember the exact number but it was a limit. he made the collection and then he sold like 25 of them and that was it he wasn't going to put that collection together they were in every collector's hands they stayed together well the Getty has one of them and so I just happened to be flipping through the L.A. Times. They had this story. Actually, I wasn't flipping. I was actually online. <laughs> <laughs> now <Scrolling>. that <laughs> I think about it, yeah, <laughs> scrolling online. The article was there I literally that weekend, because they were only going to show it for two weeks. They oh, put wow. it up in the photography area of, uh, of the Getty. And you got to see you know, the Snake River photograph with That's the cool. Tetons, the, uh, all those iconic images from the, uh, the Yosemite Valley. Moonrise Hernandez was in the collection. There's a dogwood branch. There's all the famous ones, yeah. the uh, photographs that uh, you'll see, Ansel Adams. So, you just you're constantly, you know, on the prowl for the latest uh, photograph. So, anyways, was there a question in there? Exciting. I just started going. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And, you know, There's so many, and that's a great thing about yeah. living in Los Angeles. Is there's, you know, Fresno. You don't get as many of those opportunities. You know, having lived in the Southland and. Being in the Los Angeles area, you've got you know like the Annenberg Space for Photography is they everything they do is high end, uh, and they just in the last couple of years I believe they got a new uh, uh, curator, executive director, and so she's doing really she's from the East Coast she's doing some really cool stuff. Right now they have uh, uh, a really cool uh, exhibit called Contact High, and again this is the process and this Mm -hmm. is the part that just and this I loved it for this reason. It's basically the photographer, it's a collection of photographers who chronicle the rise of hip-hop and rap music. Oh, that's cool. And so what, and the reason, and it's kind of double meaning, as you can see here, the marijuana, it's not, (laughs) (laughs) any secret is is part of the whole uh, uh, Mm hip-hop culture. And so... uh, (laughs) there's a lot of features of you know with marijuana themes in them, but what it is it's the photographers and this goes back see this is before digital print or digital uh, photography it's it's the contact prints so if back in the day you developed a 35 millimeter piece of uh, film and you cut it into strips and then those strips you could actually put them on photography paper and then do a contact print and then develop the contact print and then with a little you know Seeing yeah. eye, you know, magnifying, you look at it and then you look at all the prints from the contact print to see which one you're going to develop. Well, what, it, what the exhibit is, is the contact prints uh-huh. with the final print that the, the photographer selected right yeah. next to it. And you get to see even the X's with the sharpie, the circles, the notes on the, on the margins. So you get to actually see what happened and why did they choose that photograph. Uh, my son who's uh, 11 years old discovered uh, uh, Biggie Smalls and that whole era <laughs> of rap music uh, and they have the there's a famous iconic photograph of Biggie Smalls wearing a crown it's from one of his yeah. albums it's his album cover and they had the original there That's and they showed awesome. all the contact prints uh, showing very yeah, yeah. leading up to what that photograph and it even has the little cards you know describing how they chose that the photographer really thought, "Hey, this is a—he's kind of the king of rap. He's—he's he's regal," yeah. and so they literally found this crown and put it on him and snapped a bunch of photographs, and that became the print that they ended up using. One of the prints. There was another story in there um, about. Um, uh, now I'm, I'm going to forget the... the, the yeah, I'm, I'm looking to you guys. Uh, Tupac. <laughs> Tupac, I'm like, like... I
0: don't know. <laughs>
2: uh, the, I, was
1: like, uh. I gave Catherine a look. Like, you know, she, I thought I was she was like, going to fall out of her I seat. I was
0: like, she, she does not like, know rap. rap,
1: rap no. <laughs> Hip-hop, no. So, well, even if you don't know rap, because you know Tupac, Tupac was yeah. so much, you know, part of uh, American culture as the African... American community was developed, you know, there's only two main art forms that are original in the United States. Yeah. One of them is jazz, which I love, and the other one is rap. I'm not a huge fan of rap, but I'm fascinated with this, how they curated this with all the different photographers that captured. So there's these, a famous image of Tupac that says, you know, thug life on his, yeah. on his stomach that everybody has seen. It's a black and white photograph. Well, they, the, they have that photograph at the Annenberg uh, Space for Photography right now. And the photograph, uh, it's really interesting because they're interviewing the photographer. They do a little documentary film that comes with every show at the the Annenberg. And so the photographer's talking about how that image got selected. He said, you know, Tupac showed up. And, you know, as much as we think of Tupac as the gangster and the gang life Mm -hmm. and, you know, that whole gangster rap thing. Well, he was a consummate professional. He was, the photographer described him as he showed up. And he had multiple changes of clothing because he was gonna be doing a photo shoot. And he this was not a yeah. guy who didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, he understood yeah. the business side enough, and he was, you know, his, his business acumen was there that he knew what a good image might do to help, you know, himself personally mm-hmm. <laughs> as a rapper, but also you know, for the industry. And so he was in between changing wardrobes and he asked the photographer, hey, uh, so what if I change in this? He said, that would be great. Well, he was du- changing in front of the photographer and the photographer had never seen him without his shirt off. Well, of course, he takes his shirt off and he's got these wonderful tattoos yeah. and one of them says the thug life. Yeah. And so the photographer said, wait, 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 wait. Let's take a photograph without your shirt. Yeah. That's the photograph that ended up on the yeah. cover of Rolling Stone mm-hmm. and now is an iconic photograph of now a deceased rapper. Yeah. Well, both him and Biggie Smalls, obviously, the whole thing that was going on in the 90s with the East Coast, West Coast yeah. thing. But it's just, I love that creative process that a photographer goes in with this idea that he's going to, he or she is going to take this photograph, not sure what they're going to do. And so mm-hmm. it is a little bit of a happy accident yeah. because they kind of orchestrate it. They're prepared to take the photograph, and then the opportunity's there. And if they get it, they've got something that potentially millions of people around the world will identify with that wrapper, with that landscape, with that you know, image of New York, if it's street photography or Los Angeles or, you know, middle America, Iowa. You know, yeah. so photographers have the unique ability to tell stories in a way that nobody else can tell because they weren't there. That's why they're capturing it. It's yeah. kind of a cool a cool thing for a photographer to be able to do that. And when they do it well, you know, you have, you know, just, and, and there's so many types of photography. Yeah. You know, you can really capture a lot. I was thinking it made me think of... Um, because i the other stuff photographs that i really like and you if you know annie lebowitz you know annie lebowitz has those great uh and, and then richard Avedon, they're they're fashion photographers that turned fashion photography into art you know they eventually evolved and you know when photography wasn't being taken serious as an art they were kind of hell-bent on the idea that if you take these images a certain way mm-hmm. you can turn it into an art form and so Richard Avedon's got those famous photographs with models. Was, he was a f- uh, fashion photographer, yeah. models with elephants. And then Annie Leibowitz really took it to a whole nother level. They just had uh, uh, Annie Leibowitz show uh, in, um, oh, I'm tr- going to forget the gallery's name, but it's in Los Angeles over in the Arts District. And it was, again, it was just an article that I was reading. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, cool. I got to go see that. Mm-hmm. She. Uh, it was literally she hand selected every photograph so they she curated her own show she's hand selected photographs from the time she started which they were really just crude photographs of her driving her car and in literally in one case there's photographs of a chp officer Mm -hmm. in the 60s and you're like what's that about well what it was is she was going to art school in san francisco and the burgeoning rock scene in southern california was happening in the 60s so she would, on the weekends, drive before there were uh, speed limits yeah. in the state of California. She would drive down the freeway at like breakneck speed to okay. get down to Los Angeles. <laughs> it's a great story, <laughs> yeah. right? To get down to Los Angeles to photograph uh, some of this art scene, that the uh-huh. whiskey and the go, you know, whiskey yeah. go go and all that. And so uh, she got gets pulled over and starts taking pictures of the CHP officer that's oh given my her. A, gosh. And so you have that all the way to the time that she was on the staff of Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. And she's literally in the hotel room with Mick Jagger.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and then
1: everything in between. It's like, well, so you, and then what she did is Can't she wanted to, to feel, well, and you see her life and, you, and again, it's the creative process. What she wanted you to see, and this is, she says it in the article, is she wanted you to see the evolution of her photographic mm-hmm. eye and how it evolved over time to what it was. She did not become Annie Leibovitz overnight. She did not, that great stuff you see of her work in uh, doing portraiture work is not something that just, you know, one day she woke up and said, I think I'll do portraiture work. Yeah. She was always interested in people and then it eventually evolved to that. And so she's hand selected everything and she wanted it to feel like a studio. So she didn't, you know, get perfect prints. What she did is she printed it out on just regular sheets of paper and then tacked it on. Wow. And so what you do is you kind of serpentine through her, the gallery and you're looking at everything from the very beginning to the very end, where you see these, you know, huge photographs at a Rolling Stone concert that she's backstage on, getting these really cool. So you see the whole process. She did not become Annie Leibovitz overnight, and which
0: is nice because I don't think a lot of artists let you see their earlier work, right? And see the process. No, they want to hide it typically. Getting yeah. to being, you know, this wonderful professional photographer. So I, I yeah. love that she let you see.
1: Yeah, how intimate is that to allow you to see the work? Even you know, in some of it, you look at it and think, "Geez, that's that's just a picture of a room with a bunch of you know uh, musicians in it, and you can't really tell who it is." To where she's at today, where you know some of her photographs, she's photographed you know presidents, she's photographed you know all the you know thought leaders of our day, and and yet it all started with her in her little you know car driving down Los Angeles in the '60s to capture. What became no you know, the iconic images of the '60s. Um, you know, I just went and saw. The, there's a at one of the Lamley Theaters in Santa Monica. There's a, a Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's uh, son. If you're familiar with his Wallflowers, I think is the name mm-hmm. of his band. Um, mm-hmm. He just made a documentary about uh, Laurel Canyon. It's called The Echoes of Laurel Canyon, and it's about that period of time when all these artists were coming from New York to Los Angeles, and you know there's another photographer Ethan Russell uh, who I really I follow on, on mm-hmm. social media and he was another one Henry Diltz he's another one they were all it, he's they're all contemporaries of yeah. Annie Leibowitz. and they were capturing the 60s they were capturing a time when you know raw the California sound mm-hmm. was coming you know coming around and you know their photographs of the Eagles and you know all those bands the mamas and the papas all those bands that we so identify to this day I still anytime I'm going up the coast I gotta play the Eagles yeah. it's, like, you know, it's like I can always think of you know all those images of those rock photographers who are capturing that that's why the the uh, the contact high at the, the Annenberg right now is just phenomenal because you know we know that the rap business is a billion dollar business mm-hmm. but we sometimes forget that there was an origin it mm-hmm. started somewhere and these photographers captured it i don't know that they knew at the time that they were capturing something that would go on to become what it is today but uh but it, and that's what i love there all the photographers are in the documentary telling little stories about like there's a famous picture of salt and pepper the, the mm-hmm. band or the group and there she has a very distinct hairstyle one of the the members it's kind of shaved on one side okay and that became a very, you guys are a little bit younger, but that was, an, that was a look in the 90s. Yeah. Well, what happened is they burnt her hair while they were prepping wow. her for the, uh, for the shoot. Oh my and gosh. so they just kind of said, well, let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. They photographed it. It became the iconic <laughs> image of the group. And it became a hairstyle that was replicated in the 90s wow. over and over and over because of that moment. And the photographer had no idea that that was going to be the case, but yeah. they captured it anyways. And you get to see the contact print. So you get to see all the ones that were not included. And then you get to see the one that they said, no, that's the one that we're going to market. That's going to be the the image that we want to tell the story of who these women are. Because they were really kind of the first group, if you will, in the 90s that was really putting a positive image for women in rap. Which, you know, even by today's standard, there's controversy about, you know, how women are treated and or even rapped about in mm-hmm. modern music, but there was a, there's a whole section of women in rap in the 90s at the as part of the exhibit. So it's kind of cool to see the photographers who took those images and were, were telling a story about women in rap because it was a story to be told. And if they didn't take those pictures, that story may not be told. Yeah, yeah. And you may not remember that there were very specific women in rap in the 90s that were helping define that genre of music and then pushing it to a whole other level. So. That's, you know, and that's the power of photography is like they capture this. And you'll never be able to go back. You can paint yeah. it, but it ain't going to be the same. <laughs> you know, you can listen to old recordings, but it's like to actually see the imagery mm-hmm. at that particular time, at that particular moment. You'll never be able to recreate it. And so it's, it's, it's cool.
0: That's wonderful. I love that. How are you on time?
1: I'm doing great. Okay. I can go all afternoon if you guys want. <laughs> bring a few drinks in and we can <laughs> go, you know, wrong. all night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I did want to ask you about your thoughts on um, government and art, because usually those aren't things that kind of mesh well together sure. most of the time. So do you have any thoughts? or?
1: Sure. <laughs> well, you know, you, we started with my social commentary about accessibility <laughs> yeah. to art, and I think that's where government and art actually kind of merge or, or have the potential to merge in, in big and significant ways is that I do believe it's a responsibility of public agencies. And it, excuse me, it's tough because you know. By nature, public agencies want to avoid controversy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by its very nature, art can be very controversial. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if we were to put a Robert Maplethorpe exhibit in the hallways downstairs. Yeah. I guarantee that it probably would stir enough controversy that um, all three of us might be out of jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, that being said, is that government does play a role, whether it's the development of museums that allow uh, you know, art to be shown there, or uh, turning government public space that it belongs to everybody that pays taxes in the community uh, and then some uh, to see art in uh, in space such as the hallways like even right here at city hall or at the main or at any of our public facilities where we can display art and it makes it accessible we don't charge anybody to come to city hall it's a free space or the libraries and i think government should necessarily play a role in bringing that accessibility to art to people who maybe can't afford it or have never been exposed to it enough to know that they might like it. Um, And we can bring art programming to communities that maybe traditionally don't have art programming. And that's where the power of merging government and art into one space uh, can really make a difference in people's lives. I'm a a big fan, and I, I get it. Art can be very controversial, and it's all in the eye of the beholder kind of thing. Um, but I can tell you, you know, I I I know that filmmaking is an art form, but I almost don't like watching film anymore. It's like I prefer live theater because I know how much effort it takes to get a you know a clean piece of work that you can put you know a bunch of people in a room and it clicks and you know and that's that artistic process. It's like you can look at a photograph and cry. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's more powerful than that. You can go to a play and be in tears or laughing throughout the play. I don't know what's more powerful than tapping into the human experience. Mm-hmm. And, and government can do that. We can play a role. Uh, you know, it's, we we you know, create committees and we try to separate it from the politics and, you know, and I know that's real. That's the practical side of bringing government into the art world. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there's plenty of examples across the country where government has either gallery space through museums or just a publicly funded agency um, that can produce space that somebody can perform in, somebody can hang a piece of work in, uh, and I, I, think it's, I think it's important, and it's unfortunate because I don't think the people who should have access to art, and I'm kind of coming in full circle, is uh, have they they just don't have the access available to them and i i just wish you know if i was independently wealthy and a billionaire it's like i'd probably probably one of the things that i would do is try to i'd build a you know a a gallery right Mm -hmm. in the middle of you know east los angeles that you know displayed all kinds of art because i think individuals who like i said traditionally don't have access to some of the art forms i think would really benefit from from that experience but that's my humble opinion. <laughs> what do it. you guys think? I agree. It's <laughs> yeah. my time to interview you. <laughs> Turn the tables, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, what do, you, do you feel that there's, you know, what what role do you think government should play in that?
0: In uh, I completely agree with you. I also think that um, it's important to have opportunities for local artists to be able mm-hmm. to show, and that's kind of a stepping stone to then Absolutely. approach other galleries. So I really enjoy with my position, giving those opportunities to people that necessarily wouldn't know how to get into a gallery in LA, and then kind of training them, giving them an artist talk, and then allowing them to grow as an Mm -hmm. artist, I think is really important.
1: Art art can be this untouchable thing, you know, and Mm -hmm. and you're right, there's a lot of really good local artists, sometimes you go in these restaurants that, you know, in, in my case with photography, I'll see stuff hanging on the walls, and I'll think, wow, that's actually kind of cool. Who, who is that? And I'll, mm-hmm. you know, write a name down, um, maybe follow up later on it. But, yeah, there's a lot of really good photographers. There's a lot of a lot of visual artists in town. Uh, and, yeah, to the extent, that's what I like about, you know, having conversations with Phil Atlantis is that, you know, we do these programs where you can learn how to sell your you know your short film or you know how do you sell a photograph or how do you get represented by a gallery bringing experts in to talk about that because you know in some cases I'm sure some artists it's by accident you know I have uh, my uh, sister and brother-in-law it's my brother-in-law's brother uh, is a Cal Arts graduate Uh, did a lot of uh, painting of sports scenes and you know in a true artist tradition he never sold anything Uh, he worked as a butcher most of his life and, uh, you know, never saw that he needed to represent himself and, and make a living just doing art. And so they have artwork in their home at Stevenson Ranch, and it's really cool stuff. But he never made a living off of it either. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he didn't want to. I, that, yeah. I, I respect that as well. Um, but if somebody has it, you know, in their mind that they want to try to make a living at it. Uh, and it's you know it's tough being an artist. <laughs> you don't sell things every single day. You can become one of these big giant commercial artists yeah. uh, that can uh, you know sell commercial stuff. Uh, matter of fact, I have, uh, uh, and this is literally how I buy art. I was at the Santa Rosa Plateau. I was paying for a parking pass, you know whatever it was, five dollars, and there was a photograph behind the the cashier who worked for the Riverside County. And I said, hey, is that for sale? I literally asked her oh, if it was man. for sale. Yeah. And she said, yeah, actually, it is. And I, you're kidding me. I just kind of was asking on a yeah. whim. But it was a image of there's big vernal pools at the top of the Santa Rosa Plateau. And then in, and on the other side of the plateau is Orange County. Mm-hmm. So you get the ocean conditions and these really cool scenes. And so it was uh, clouds coming over the plateau after a big storm by the vernal pools. And I said, well, how much do you want for it? She's like, uh... We'll take $150 for it. It was donated to us by uh, a photographer who wanted to just help raise money. Yeah. But we never sold it, so it's just been sitting there. I said, I'll take it. And so I paid for it right there. The photogra- He's a commercial photographer. His name's Anthony Arndt. You can actually follow him mm-hmm. on uh, online. He does high-end commercial stuff yeah. for, like, Porsche and you know some of the big uh, you know car companies and what have you. Well, he also does... Photography on the side, so I bought one of his photographs, and I follow him online. Wow. So I yeah. actually have watched his daughter grow up. He puts a lot of stuff about his daughter. <laughs> uh, Very open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, that's the kind of thing. It's like, to me, I just you know, fortunately, uh, I can. You, you know, have a good eye for it. Well, I just, you know, it's kind of, like I said, it's visceral. I just spot it and I'll buy it. And now it's in my bedroom and I look at it every day. And it's like, I just wish I could, you know, if I had oodles and oodles of money and I didn't have to think about it, hell, I'd buy photographs for people to put in their houses just because I think it's important that people see, you know, that accessibility. And, you know, going back to the question about government, I I think we do play a role. I think we play an important role. Um, And if we can find a good place politically speaking where we can allow that process to take place it's amazing how much you know work we can put out there and but you're right we have to start kind of small and you know there's been a lot of debate even here in Santa Clarita with Phil Phil, (laughs) more than anybody else (laughs) Um, but you know it's about how do we expand art and I can tell you having worked here in the 90s and then left and then came back a few years ago is that we're far Ahead of where we were back then. So, uh, you know, I, and I think we're making significant progress now with the Arts Commission being in full swing and we have processes in place and we're starting to have a process where we can make semi efficient decisions about uh, art um i think we'll be able to even expand more art into the community and and take photography i know we do you know the photograph contest uh you know even something as simple as that and put it online so because everybody's out and about that's what i mean it's like these are amateur photographers i've seen some really good stuff
0: yeah Yeah, they do really well in that photography competition like i don't know i can't vote (laughs) yeah
1: it's it's really cool you get you know uh landscape photographs from people that are just out on the trails and just I can't imagine they're manipulating the photograph too too much Mm -hmm. but even the little bit that they are doing and they're submitting them it's good work that's why you know it's kind of changing subject here for a second but you know Phil and I will talk about these things is that it's interesting because digital cameras have changed the nature of photography so much because so many people can just point and click and get pretty decent photographs I've taken photographs of uh, landscape and then just literally go into a black and white and then play with the contrast yeah. and produce pretty good work <laughs> that you know might pass muster on you know and yeah. there's there's actually I, I bought a friend a book that had uh, just photographs of uh, from taken from iPhones and it's pretty good yeah. stuff like you know it, you can literally it's a tool for photography why not mm-hmm. it's just like any photographer but what it's it's interesting because it's pushed, I think, photographers to have to rethink photography because it's like it's not enough just to take a picture, manipulate it a little bit and put it yeah. out there because, you know, you can Google right now Yosemite Valley images and just hit images on your, you know, your, your phone or your computer and it, you'll have, you know, 2,000 of the same pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what does that mean for the commercial photographer who's trying to make a living selling photographs of Yosemite? It's almost like, oof, good luck.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's something we've spoken about quite a bit. Is in gallery spaces, we're seeing a lot more photographers who are then putting wax over or adding paint to it, just trying to do something to add Mm -hmm. um, and set uh, set themselves apart even more.
1: Absolutely, that's you know, and the thing is, is I think it's important for people who love art generally, but people who love photography is to be open to it. Because the reality is, is, you know, like I said earlier, it's like I don't think art's not a static thing. Uh, it's constantly evolving, you know, in, in different ways and we don't know what it's gonna mm-hmm. be twenty five years from now, fifty years from now. And I have to be humble enough to know that you know, the old school, develop your film, develop your picture, <laughs> manipulate <laughs> it in the lab, you know, is not going to be always the way you do things. And, uh, you know, I've seen you go to, pho- that's what I love about Photo LA is you can go down there and see some of the, ex- the, yeah. uh, the experimental uh, uh, photography and just, you know, I, there was a photographer that was doing street scenes in Los Angeles and they had kind of the skateboarding scene in different parts of Los Angeles. And they did, like, graffiti over the top of it and did all kinds of different things and slicing photographs together. Yeah. I was at the, the... Well, when I went to go see uh, Echoes of Laurel Canyon, uh, that documentary in Santa Monica at the Lemley Theater, uh, they had a very short film of a photographer whose work... I, I walked right by it yeah. and didn't think anything of it. And then when I saw the little short film before the movie started about her, what she does is she takes images of buildings in the Los Angeles area and then she recreates them architecturally as she would say. Oh, wow. And so she makes multiple images and splices them and then puts them together, rearranges them into a new, and it's all photography. Yeah. And then she puts a final image and then it's very different than what you initially see just from the, from the point and click. Well, if it it's, was there just two weeks ago. Uh, if you're ever at the Limley Theater in, yeah, <laughs> in Santa Monica, um, shouts her, to the Yes, shouts, yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they have her work in the uh, in the outside of the uh, the cool. movie or the uh, the theaters themselves, and it's it's really cool stuff. It's like and and it's rethinking photography in mm-hmm. a way that I certainly wouldn't have thought of. But if you see some of her work, it's Talk about a visceral response. Yeah. You're like, and, and it, in this case, it did have to get explained to me through her little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Normally, I was like, I just buy it. But it, it, I didn't even think anything of it until I saw the little short. Uh, and then I walked back outside. Awesome. And then I spent time looking at it. It's like, oh, my God, yeah. that is that building. <laughs> no. Look at it. You know, and it's all rearranged yeah. and it's articulated and it's got all that's these so new, cool. t- this whole new texture. And it's a whole new way of looking yeah. at something that people go by every single day. And that's, to me, the art. You know, and it it, it made you think. It's like, oh, that's that building over on Santa Monica and wherever. It's kind of cool stuff. But, you know, that's life, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's what art is for. It just kind of gets your blood flowing a little bit. Makes you appreciate life a little bit more.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. Well, great. That's it? That was too easy. (laughs) Thank you so much, Frank. Oh no, absolutely. We it really appreciate
2: yeah, you
1: awesome. being on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me. It's like I, I, I'm not an artist, however, I love I love photography, and I I could sit here and talk for hours and, <laughs> and talk about some of my my favorites and tell people about all the great galleries yeah. in, in, in Los Angeles. So,
0: now you can tell just uh, talking to you, like you get excited. Oh, I do.
1: I love a good photographer. It's like you know, even. Uh, I, I, I literally, and I, I know we're going to go here, but uh, like I even wrote down Herb Ritz. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he's, uh, he, they featured him at the, uh, at the uh, Getty, and I had to see it when it yeah. came out. And he took a lot of the more iconic images of the 80s of uh, Cindy Crawford mm-hmm. and Naomi Campbell, all those supermodels, uh, very slick stuff, which it's bordering commercial photography. But it's so artistic. It's so clean, the way he does his work. It's very haunting. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist Chris Isaac, the singer. Uh, he, uh, he has a video that Herb Ritz actually did. And you can okay. see it's, it's done in black and white with one of the big models of the day. And uh, you just see somebody like that, and you just go, wow, that is cool. It's just, it's not... Ansel Adams yeah. mm-hmm. it's Herb Ritz yeah. and it's you know you can see why the, the Getty something like mm-hmm. the Getty would want to have him you know li- you know take up gallery space and it was probably one of the more popular photographic uh, exhibits that I went and saw but that's a great thing again about Los Angeles yeah. is you know for all your listeners it's there's so many uh, you can just google LA photo galleries and it populates galleries and you can go see a, a so lot accessible. of accessible it's it's very accessible and and Photography is, you know, it's not a million-dollar picture hanging on the wall unless you're looking at some of Ansel Adams' mm-hmm. stuff. And even those are, you know, they're $50,000, $60,000, 70000 yeah. But you can see a lot of great photographers that don't, you know. And and you can go into galleries and you can be in Birkenstocks and, sure. you know, in and, and a T-shirt and nobody's going <laughs> to look at you strange. Whereas if you go to some galleries in Beverly Hills, it's like, uh, you know, yeah. who let the homeless person in? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's uh, – it, it's – it's uh, But but there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of galleries in all of Los Angeles. You can get a little bit of everything. So good stuff. I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.